Hello and welcome to episode three of Diversity University with your host, Abu, Danielle, Faye, and Emmanuel. Today we are here with another special guest, Marcos, another student at MHS who is to matriculate at Northeastern University this fall. So Marcos, please give us a little introduction of yourself. Uh, hey to everyone listening, I'm Marcos. I'm super excited to graduate and I'm really happy that I can be on this podcast. I had a really interesting experience with college admissions and I'm super excited to share what I know. Great. So last episode, we played a little get to know you game where we asked a lightning bolt round of questions. So I'm, I'm going to pass it off, pass the mic off to Danielle to go ahead and do that. Okay, so these are like super simple questions and we just want quick answers. Favorite celebrity? Uh, Snarky Mark, the Canadian TikToker who does the teacher um, impressions. Favorite TV show? Um, I don't know. I just finished Avatar the last Yes! <laughs> Apart from that, I like Gilmore Girls. Me and my hey, that's where it's at. <laughs> where do you want to travel? Um, I've never been to, like, proper Asia. So I really want to go to, like, Japan, China, Korea, Vietnam, Thailand. Texting or FaceTiming? Oh my god, FaceTiming all the way. Favorite book? Favorite book? Uh, my favorite author is Toni Morrison, but my favorite book is Perfume by Patrick Siskin. Who's worse, anime stands or K-pop stands? Um, anime stands are a little weird, but I've never seen an anime stand uh, in a in a Twitter thread saying that someone would, <laughs> would have survived if they had just stand someone else. Favorite hobby? Well, I like to read, of course, um, but I think my number one hobby is probably eating. Favorite teacher? Um, Bressy or Morlock. All three of them kind of uh, forced me to be much better in their classes would have been otherwise. Uh, pet peeves. People that ask questions that were already answered. Oh, that's a good one. Would you be a waterbender, earthbender, firebender, or airbender? I wish I could say I'd be a waterbender because I'm good with the flow, but I'm not really. Like, I think I'd be a firebender because I get angry a lot. Oh, so you'd be a colonizer. Shaking my head, Marcos. If you could time travel, what era would you travel Look, to? 1600s, because I was a colonizer. No. Okay. Um, I'd actually really love to, like, the early 1900s, because I feel like it's so much more difficult to discover stuff nowadays. Like, back then, if you just kind of apply the scientific method, you can win a yeah. million prize so easy. And then, because I was like, oh my gosh, I'd be so good at research if all I had to do was, like, discover the gas laws, and then, like, that's a whole branch of chemistry. But now you have to, like, do actual like hard stuff well thank you for those answers this episode is mostly going to be about the college process and tips you have for students our age or younger so let's start off with some questions so first of all congratulations into getting into such a prestigious school like northwestern i know it has like a 9.2 admissions rate which is crazy so tell us were you expecting to get into northwestern um well i really had no idea what was going to happen when i opened up the portal i thought i put forth a good application but so did everyone else i didn't know how good everyone else was and i was very excited to see that i got in that's great would you mind sharing your stat all right sure but before i just want to put a little disclaimer the stats are really kind of like the least important part of your application schools kind of use them just as a tech point between a 1600 or a 1550 obviously both of those kids can read and write which is really the most important part but i got a 36 on the act and a 1570 on the sat my gpa was like a four something you take subject tests yeah northwestern recommends subject tests in math and science so i took the math two one and the chemistry one 
but I didn't really prepare for the chemistry one or the math one because we're IB and so the subject tests mostly test off the AP curriculum. So there's a lot of stuff on them that I was like, not prepared for as far as the chemistry one and I did not submit that. I did submit my 790 on the math two. The math two exam is kind of strange in that like over 40% of people who take it end up getting 800. So it's like some ridiculously high number. This next year though, subject tests yeah. won't really be playing a large role except for like three or four schools like Georgetown um, and Harvey Mudd because COVID that eliminated a lot of people's chance to take them. Well, thank you for that. Can you also like tell us what were your extracurriculars? So I was really involved at the high school. I was in student council all four years and my senior year I was student body co-president. I helped found and I'm president of the Model UN. I was the captain of the culinary arts competition team. I was the president of the pre-engineering club. And then I participated in National Honor Society where I was president and service coordinator. I was in beta club for my first couple of years. And then I volunteered with different things throughout the school as well. I was also in the marching band all four years where I had leadership positions. Outside of the school, I taught Sunday school at my church. Um, and I serve on a national board for uh, youth preparedness and disaster relief. What are some other schools that you were admitted to? And like, what made you choose Northwestern over them? I was admitted to Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, Vassar, and Amherst. Also Georgia Tech, and then University of Kentucky, Alabama, Arizona, Oklahoma with significant uh, merit scholarship. I chose Northwestern for number one, when I visited, I liked it. So I didn't really want to waste my time applying to a school that I was, there's like no chance I was going to go to. I ended up choosing Northwestern specifically because I like their interdisciplinary focus. Northwestern has a lot of like individual like centers for research and um, that are in between disciplines that I really like. I also like that it was a school that's good at not just one. At Georgia Tech, I love Georgia Tech, but that school is ju just about mostly engineering students. Everyone there is an engineering student or like a business student. There's not a lot of variety in the type of students there. Whereas at Northwestern, they have one of the best music schools in the country, one of the best journalism schools in the country, one of the best dance schools in the country. I felt really happy knowing that I wouldn't be competing against the same people for everything. And it's a lot more of a collaborative environment because everyone's being the best in different things. Yeah, it just seems more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'd much rather go see a cool play and performance than more engineering stuff all day. Wait, so you're majoring in engineering? Yes. So my major is chemical engineering. Um, and then I want to do a minor in data science. <laughs> Northwestern has undergraduate certificates through their business school because they don't have undergraduate business. Like that's not a major there, but they have um, certificates that you can do through their business school. What was your reaction when you got admitted? I yell at mom, oh my God, it's Northwestern. And then, um, and then I texted Dr. Rivera. <laughs> I freaked out. How early have you started preparing for the college admissions process? Like maybe writing your essays or like thinking. Or even like your college plan. The most important thing for me was throughout high school, just ensuring that I had good grades. Uh, the part where I started thinking seriously about which schools I was applying to and ensuring that I had like all the prerequisites was the like, second half of my junior year, I uh, was doing more serious exploration of those schools. Um, like I visited some with my family and then I wanted to make sure that I was like on the right track. My, I, my plan was to start essays over the summer, but I did not. I started my essays in August and I really wish I had started in the summer because I was still writing essays through December. 
work, which was totally unhealthy and not good for my mental health. Um, I wish that I had gotten it all done, like some of my friends, by August or September. Yeah. And then another factor was that I just applied to way too many schools. So. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said you started like that late. So we should be starting now. <laughs> right. Well, August and September aren't really that late, considering they're due in October and November, or some are even doing. Yeah, September. but you applied to a lot of schools. Good point. It's just like uh, some a recommendation that I gave some of my other friends was that apply to like max twelve schools and try to get everything done by like August thirtieth. And then that way you, if you're, if you're done, then you're done, but, or you can just apply to scholarship. Or if you realize, dang it, I really wish I applied to USC. Dang it, I really wish I applied to Stanford. Then you have three more months of free stress to just focus on those new applications and you can apply to more if you want. Yeah. Did you have to pay for all those application fees? Uh, yes and no. So um, I don't qualify for fee waiver, for the low income fee waivers um, that are like automatically provided by schools. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of schools will send fee waivers out in the mail in or in your email a lot of schools if you just email and ask they'll give you a fee, fee waiver um there's a lot of schools that are free and then there's a lot of schools that because i did their fly-in program or um had attended a college fair i didn't have to pay um university of alabama they had a weekend where you could apply for free so I, that's when i applied georgia tech i used dr rivera's free um application for that um, university uh, uh, Northwestern actually I had paid for my application and then in the mail um, they had sent me a fee waiver and I was like so I actually emailed them and asked for my money back and they gave it to me college applications to college are expensive they're ridiculously expensive because in addition to fees you've got to pay for SAT score sense ACT score sense you've got to pay for um, individual things to be sent to each college However, there's usually a way, like, there's a way to reduce that or a way around it. Um, some of my schools, they let me, like, I asked if I could send an unofficial SAT score send, like, or if I could send a PDF file. A lot of schools will let you self-report, and then you just have to send your real one later, which is actually what I have to do for Northwestern before June 1st. Again, like, Northwestern is a really prestigious school. So for you personally, what gave you an edge over the other applicants? It sucks to say, but I can't really know. However, I can tell you what I had and why I think I was successful. But the fact of the matter is no one can really tell you exactly, hey, this is how I got in. In my application, I tried to emphasize a couple different things. I wrote about things that were personal to me and that were kind of unique. Um, in my Northwestern application, I wrote their, their supplement uh, was basically why Northwestern. And so I knew why I wanted to apply to Northwestern. I wrote about how um, I had found that institute that fit exactly what I wanted to study. So why Northwestern was the right fit for me, how it would let me continue stuff I had done in high school, why I was the best fit for Northwestern, and then what I would do at Northwestern to help improve it. A lot of people think you can just submit the same supplement to a lot of schools, which works for some stuff like why did you choose your major? This is why I chose my major. That section, sure, but why did you want to pursue it at our school? You can't tell me that Northwestern and, for example, Georgia Tech have the same strengths when it comes to chemical engineering, because they don't. So being really specific and being able to show how you would contribute to the school is what matters. When schools ask, oh, why us? They know they're a great school. Oh, I would love to pursue an education at such an awesome, amazing institution. Of course they know. Tell us why you would make their institution better, why it would work for you. As far as my common app, um, I wrote mine about a project that I had done over the summer and how I wanted to explain it to my grandparents. I come from 
immigrant background and so my grandparents only speak Spanish, but I don't speak it that well. So I wrote my essay about how I worked really hard to be able to translate the, the technical specifics of my project and explain it to my grandparents in a way they could understand. Can you um, um, talk more about that project? Uh, sure. When I was at the Governor's Honors Program, it's a summer program uh, sponsored by the Georgia Department of Education and the Governor's Office of Student Achievement and received specialized instruction in fields which they're gifted in. So I went for engineering design and the project, it was a, like a trash can lid that would automatically sort between recyclables and non-recyclable uh, materials. So I worked on that with a group and I mentioned the project and I discussed it a little bit in my application, but the purpose was not to highlight that. It was more to highlight the personal growth that I had during the project and the effort that I put in to speak to my, uh, to ensure my grandparents could understand it. All right, so for those who are underclassmen, what are some tips and tricks that you would recommend for the admission, admissions process? There's a lot of parts to the application process. Like, it is not, like, one thing that you can do in a day. So I think the most important things that students need to know is, number one, you are supposed to be an asset to a university. The university could live their lives without you. Show them why you're irreplaceable. Show them why you're the one that they need to have. Now, how do you do that? That's kind of generic advice. Like I mentioned, in your essays, highlight things you did in high school and how they would contribute to their campus. Highlight why you would be a great member of their community, educationally, and academically, and also as a person. What are things you contributed to your school community that would carry over well to a college campus? Um, examples of that, I wrote about my work in the pre-engineering department at the high school and the Technology Student Association and how I hope to continue that at their school through their engineering project competition team. I wrote about my uh, personal passion for brewing kombucha and how I wanted to continue that through their environmental club and increase awareness of low-waste fermentation methods. Everyone is such a unique person. It's very annoying when everyone submits the exact same thing. Show us what you can bring to the table. And if you can't bring something to the table, maybe that's something you should reevaluate over the summer. You know, that's like really good advice. And I know earlier you were talking about all the different extracurriculars you've done. And I've often heard that it's not necessarily about like quantity, it's more about quality. And you had like really good um, quality um, extracurriculars. But how would you say that you created a theme in your application? Because I know that with all these activities, you had to kind of like draw it in to make like your story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, uh, often cited advice is don't be, people always, always think they want a well-rounded applicant, but no, they want a well-rounded campus. So they want lots of spiky applicants. There, there's always going to be a need for the newspaper editor. There's always going to be a need for the head of the debate club. So make them realize where you would fit in on their campus. Now, throughout high school, I feel like I disagree with you a little. Like, I think my application felt a little bit all over the place. Like, I had the engineering stuff, and then I had the non-engineering stuff. But um, for me, I think it did help, um, not necessarily having, like, being the STEM kid, because that is how a lot of STEM kids are. They are just the engineering kid. So I think that I was able to bring those other extracurriculars in and show how I was a multifaceted person. Um, I think that by bringing in more diverse extracurriculars and then connecting them by showing my interest, my future interest in uh, sustainability and environmental policy is really what helped tie them together. Does that make sense? Yeah. I struggle with this. When I look at what I would put on my application, like to me, it's just a bunch of like blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm definitely like a basic humanitarian kind of person. Like, 
but like that's all I have, which like is kind of scary. But I mean, I think I can like make a way to like make it look like the applications. Look, please don't lie on your applications. Don't try to be someone you're not. Oh no, no focus no. on your good stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying you are, but oh. like there's so much pressure from people to be like, oh, make yourself like be someone who you're not. Don't be who you're not. Be who you are and highlight your strengths. It's okay to not have a story. It's okay not to have that to play. Just yeah. make sure the college knows that you want to be there for a reason. Make sure they want you for a reason. Have a reason to be there. And me. even if like your extracurriculars are like all over the place, it like still shows that like even like in college and like in the future outside of college, like you're still going to be like a well-rounded person. You're going to have interest yeah. outside of your job outside of your Being major. Being a person is not at all a bad thing. Like, yeah. I may have led people astray with my earlier statement. It's wonderful to have stuff outside of your major to show your interest because almost like every institution that's well-known, like Stanford, Harvard, Yale, et cetera, those are all, they are liberal arts institutions. They study the liberal arts, which is math, science, history. They're not, you're, they're not training you. They're, you're not only taking classes for your major. You have to take classes outside of your major. Yeah. It's important to realize that you're not going to be contributing just one thing. You're contributing your whole body. You're contributing your whole person. Can you talk a little bit about how did you handle your rejections? Because I'm pretty sure it's kind of inevitable. Yes. Um, rejections hurt. Um, the first time, I guess. Uh, I got rejected from Stanford and Cornell. My junior year, Cornell was my dream school. Um, I have lots of Cornell merch that I'm never ever going to be able to wear outside of my house. Same, like when I visited Stanford, I loved it. But the fact of the matter is I didn't get in and there's not really a point into thinking about it because I got into a place that I love more now. Life is full of rejection. Um, uh, like through my junior year, I applied for a lot of summer programs and I got rejected from a lot of them too. But when you put yourself in the mindset that like it's just a different door and make sure that you have other options you love, it's a lot easier to accept it. It's a little hard to, it hurts a lot if you have a dream college and you set everything on that dream college. Oh, if I don't get into Brown, my life is over. If I don't get into Brown, um, then my career will suck. That's not how it works. Like a university isn't the golden ticket into your job. It isn't the golden ticket into the life of your dreams. The most important thing is that you are so dedicated to who you are. A university isn't going to make you a better person. A university, like all that is internal stuff. The school is just where you're at you're still the same person whether or not you didn't or you did get into your dream school. Rejections hurt, but if you make a rejection like the whole center of your reality, like please move on. It's very <laughs> annoying to just, to just don't define yourself by where you didn't get into or where you did get into either. If you were to compare this whole process about getting into college to something, what would you compare it to? A lot of people call it a lottery, but I don't think it's a lottery. I would think it more as like, like one of those horse races except you're a horse and you can't see the other horses like in Secretariat. Because the fact of the matter is you're the horse and you've trained for many years to be a good horse, to be a fast horse, uh, to make it to the finish line. Um, but you can't see what the other horses are doing. And you can see the horses ahead of you, but you can't see all the horses behind you. And so if all you're doing is focusing on getting into the finish line and seeing all the horses ahead of you, you're just going to make yourself go crazy. It's an unhealthy process for, or I guess applying to selective colleges is, um, and it's an exhausting process. Like after a horse race, all you want to do is lie down. Hey, you know, Secretary, he now has children everywhere because he was a good horse. That is, <laughs> I was not expecting that. 
Margos, no one has watched Secretary. Okay, what what is your opinion on how, like, the process is also super rigged and, like, classist because of, like, feeder schools and, like, you know, people paying to get in? Oh my gosh, it's ultra rigged. For those of us who are listening who don't know what a feeder school is, a feeder school is um, a school, it's oftentimes a private school that uh, over is overrepresented in the students' sense to school. So, um, like, examples of this are schools like Exeter, um, uh, Phillips, Phillips Exeter, it's, which is like a boarding school up in New England, um, Andover, which are a bunch of like elite boarding schools which like send up to like 20 to 40% of every year's class to Ivy League schools and even more to other top private schools or public schools, which is great and all, they're an elite school, but the fact of the matter is those schools are way overrepresented at private schools compared to top public schools. Now, top public schools in America, like for example, in New York, the selective school, Stuyvesant and Bronx Science, or in the Northern Virginia area, Thomas Jefferson, those schools also send tons of kids to the top schools, but even at that rate, they send way less kids. Now, what are the reasons for this? So part of it is public schools just have less resources. Also, everyone there is rich. When you have a lot of money, it makes it so many things easier. It's easier to get internships, and it's easier to get to be able to have extracurriculars, to be able to compete in higher level things that would be costlier to lower income people. And then a lot of people are like, no, um, colleges see that and take it into context. Yeah, but a big part about a lot of schools is legacies and if you can afford to attend. I think it's under 70 schools that are full need and need blind. Even a bunch of, a couple top schools are need aware. They keep into account the amount of money you can pay. Like, And so schools like Exeter, you can't tell me that a private school where people pay to attend and sure won't will it selective, more intelligent and more involved people than a top public school that is also selective and say that they deserve admittance to these top schools more than those public school kids. Because when you look at it, they have they don't have the exact same profile. They don't have the same test scores. They don't have the same things they overcame. And the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't talk about how harmful the legacy admissions is for giving preferences to students with better backgrounds. A lot of people seem to focus on the issue of affirmative action or uh, like get boost given to Pell Grant eligible students. But fact of the matter is a lot of, like 30% of legacies at Harvard are admitted compared to 6% of general populace. A, it depends on the school. For example, John Hopkins doesn't care about legacy anymore. Georgia Tech, um, if you're a legacy, then it's different because of public school, but private schools, they do see if you're a legacy, but you don't necessarily need to be um, a high donating donor or not. It just, students, uh, colleges admit legacies because they have higher chances of enrollment and uh, will pay more. I truly believe the legacy admission should be abolished. Oh, like the lottery thing, like I refer, I compared it to a horse race because a lot of people are like, college admissions is a lottery. It's not a lottery. There's a lot that you can control. You can control your grades. You can control your test scores. You can control how nice you are to your teachers. And if you get a lot of the college process is 
affected by directly how hard you worked and your talent and your I think that's true but I think when people say like lottery it's mostly comparing it to again like we can control our test scores and our GPA and stuff like that but sometimes a college is not necessarily always looking for that things but um let's say even a college like Harvard sometimes they don't admit like people with a perfect GPA perfect SAT scores and stuff like that like it's more, that's why I think people say it's um, a lottery because sometimes you don't know what the college is looking for. And some of the people that we consider the best applicants or the most fitting applicants don't even get accepted into some of their dreams. I think, I think it's like people that don't have those top grades or like top GPA and top SAT, they, the reason they don't have those top stuff is because they're focusing their time on something else that the school likes them for. It's not all about that specifically. A lot of people believe that the process is random. That's that's what a lot of people mean. They say, oh, it's a lottery, but the process isn't random. Like you said, they say a college admission officers are looking for people. Sometimes they need more STEM students. Sometimes they need more students focusing in the classes. Sometimes they need students that are from Utah and from Nevada versus people from California again. Yeah. Um, but it isn't a lottery. Like there, people, if you were admitted, it was for an intentional reason. And if you were not admitted, if you were rejected or waitlisted, it was because you weren't necessarily what they were looking for at the time. It's not that you were unqualified or it's not that you specifically made a mistake. It's just that someone else did something better. A lot of people think it's a, a lottery because it's like, how could I get rejected? They're my state school. They're my safety school. How could I get rejected? They're, um, my parents went there. How could I get rejected? Oh, I did all this stuff in high school. But so did a lot of other people. It's not a lottery, but there's a lot of chance that goes into it. It's foolish to call it a lottery. Okay, so given like the circumstances like of um, times during like, this pandemic and whatnot, what are some like what's some advice that you would have to the junior class, like, especially with a lot of these schools going test optional? First of all, I'm really excited that a lot of schools are going test optional, even though it's just temporarily or just for this year, because it, it like the, the University of California system even said they're going test blind in a couple of years, which is really exciting for me. Advice to the juniors. Don't stop doing good things. Like keep doing what you love and keep pursuing what you love. Like it's gonna be harder, but everyone in the world is experiencing this. This isn't a problem that's just exclusive to your class. Even though it feels like, oh great, you can do nothing now, it's a break. You can choose to treat it as an opportunity. Did IB like did the credits you get from IB like are they fulfilled for the prerequisites at for being a STEM major at Northwestern? At Northwestern, they give you credit for HL courses, and they haven't announced what they're doing this year as far as the canceled IB exams with AP or IB. Like ordinarily, they would take like your higher level exams and use them to, for example, place you out of you could skip ahead in the chemistry um, track or in the math track. So it really depends on. Um, your major, like, it's not going to help you much or it'll just be so you can have more free electives, but generally the schools will take your IB credit. Going to IB, like a specific school, that, like such as Marietta, like, would you say that, would you say like you would do dual enrollment over IB or would you prefer any other pathways towards this admissions process? Um, so I've taken dual enrollment IB and AP classes throughout high school and I feel definitely that IB benefited me the most. I realized that the IB curriculum was a motivating factor for me to apply to a lot of my schools um, because I, in the IB, we are forced to have like the liberal arts distribution of classes. And then the fact that we have all those additional academic opportunities to do our own exploration with stuff I could discuss. So during my, pro uh, my interviews, I was able to talk about my EP and the individual exploration that I did for that. I was able to talk about my IAs and the stuff I learned during them and the stuff I wish I had done differently. Uh, it 
the IB offers a lot of points of reflection that other academic systems don't necessarily do. Like, for example, through my dual enrollment classes, it's just a class. They're not necessarily hoping for you to do personal growth, like the IB almost mandate. It's a lot easier for me to discuss it when I have that type of background. Okay, um, this might be a little bit controversial, but a lot of times with like upperclassmen and when I wasn't in the IB program, a lot of people were telling me like, oh, IB's a scam, all this stuff, like IB's a scam. Like I just heard that so many times. And um, personally, I wouldn't, I mean, I haven't really been able to say if it's a scam or not just because like, this is my first year, I haven't, you know, you know? But why do you think people are saying that? Like why? It's hard. It's so, it's really hard. It's the most challenging academic curriculum that is offered at our school. Um, a lot of schools in the area, they offer just AP and dual enrollment or dual enrollment as far as like opportunities. And a lot of people say IB is a scam just because it is harder than those opportunities. And then a lot of schools won't give you as much credit as you would get if you instead devoted your time to AP or dual enrollment. If you are aiming to maximize the credit you can get out of your college and like graduate in two years or 2.5 years, then no, don't do IB. That go rack up that AP credits or even better go do dual enrollment. Although that's another matter. A lot of people say it's a scam because they're not getting what they wanted out of it, which was a lot of um, school, like for example, Georgia mandates that you get, like, you can get a full year's worth of credit from IB. Florida has more legislation, and you'll get a lot of credit from IB if you go to University of Florida or University of Miami. If you were taking an easy path, IB is not it. IB is, it's tough. It's a full curriculum compared to AP where you can pick and choose. It's six classes compared to AP where most students take four, like, during their senior year. A lot of students in the in the senior year will say it's a scam because there's a lot of requirements. AP doesn't require the IA. AP doesn't require CAS. AP doesn't require the EE. But it is academically rigorous, and that was what I was searching for in my curriculum. I think also um, this might help you going into Northwestern because you kind of already know how to deal with like a lot of stress coming from school and things like that. So it might not be super hard for you. At or even if it is, you would know how to manage it. Almost every like senior I know that graduated that did IB was going to a school was able to say how much easier um, like their freshman year was because they either placed out of a ton of stuff or they were just used to writing at that level. A lot of schools have like writing to teach you how to write at a college level because so many people know how to write at a college level. So people, so many people don't know how to write an essay of more than three pages or five pages when we literally have to write a 15 page. The IB is the most, the most rigorous curriculum that you can take in preparation for university. So a lot of people are gonna say it's a scam. And to an extent, if you just wanna graduate high school, yeah, it's a scam. Why would you waste your time doing all this if all you wanna do is go and get out? I think that's also really good how you mentioned that because everybody's, um, you know, future kind of looks different. Like some people are just trying to get in, trying to get out. Some people are trying to go military. So I think like with all that you're saying, what I'm taking for it, it's important to find your path and what works best for you. And, you know, especially if you're trying to do a certain path, you know, Ivy might be the thing you have to take, but if you're not, like it's fine if that's not your goal. 100% Faith. Like if you're going into military, then maybe you focus on a like, getting the military scholarships so you can become a commissioned officer as soon as you graduate or start working for the, uh, towards the ASAP or an ROTC and don't waste your time with it. 
or if you want to go to a career, then sure, you can be taking those dual enrollment classes so you can go get that um, your associates as soon as you graduate or go get your welding certification. College is not for everyone. I love college. I think being educated is the most important thing you can do for yourself, but that's not what's good for everyone and it's not what is necessarily possible for everyone. Well, Marcos, regarding the recommendation letters, like how early do you start like sending out the request for a recommendation letter? So I think first and foremost, you have to develop a good relationship with your teachers. Like don't ask the teacher you had for a month, hey, do you want to write a letter of rec for me? No, that's kind of counterintuitive or counterproductive to your goal. Yeah. Um, I, for me, the thing I was trying to get in my letters of rec was A, showing the call that teachers think I'm qualified to be there, that I can succeed in my major. I, they think I can contribute to a community there. So I asked teachers that I had good, strong relationships with. I asked Dr. Morlock, um, I asked Ms. Vaughn, I asked Mr. Grant, I asked Dr. Epstein, and I asked Dr. Rivera. The reason I asked so many people is because I applied to some schools that required math and science, and I required some schools that required English, like they required English and humanity recs. So I just wanted to make sure I had all bases covered. And then I asked Dr. Rivera if he could write my letter of rec for Northwestern because he was in a lot. Each of my teachers, like, I wanted, like, before I had asked at the, like, near the end of my junior year, hey, at College Emission Hub, I was wondering if you would be willing to write me a letter of rec. Um, and I just wanted to like pre-check it so they would like be aware of it over the summer, right? And then near the start of my freshman year, like I prepared a thing for like a letter to my teachers. So, and that was talking about A, thanking them for writing me a letter of recommendation. Um, and then I discussed uh, why I liked their class, why I was asking them like to write the letter. Like for Dr. Moore, like I said specifically, I feel that I've shown my chemistry prowess in your class. And I think you would do, be able to talk about my passion for chemistry and chemical engineering and how I intend to pursue that at university. Um, and then I discussed some of my favorite parts of their class uh, and some parts where I thought I shone in their class. I made sure to mention specific moments because that's stuff that they can write about in their letter of rec. Uh, for Ms. Vaughn, I asked her to write a letter and in it I talked about times that, remember when I asked for your help with this math exploration or remember the times that I prepared a presentation on this for the class. And that way they would be able to focus on my strengths and um, would help me, would help them show the colleges that I am a person. This is, this was my passion. Yeah. Um, did you ask them to like, did you ask to, to be able to read the letter? Um, I did not ask to be able to read your, my letter. When you apply for, or when you submit it, you have to submit a FERPA release. That's the Family Educational Protection Act, which says that you're not allowed to request to read them. Like, like legal so I can't be like because it's my file I'm requesting to read them however if the teacher wants to give them to you and read it or to read it or if you ask and they say sure then that's fine and that's totally legal a lot of people will be like no you're not allowed to read it no you're not allowed to legally request it and so some of my teachers did send it to me um and I was able to read them and then some of my teachers didn't and they're just like YOLO uh, but that really depends on the relationship you have with the teacher y'all didn't even ask about flying programs again summer programs um, well it's a whole summer program i think we all have an issue with that because of the whole coronavirus i never said it was a problem i'm just saying a lot of people didn't have the the choice to do that okay actually some of them are really expensive like real talk oh yeah don't do a summer program if you have to pay for it um like there's a lot of summer programs out there like yale young global scholars but those are pay-to-play programs no but the yale one since I can tell you about that. They actually do have financial aid. So they have financial aid, but 
a lot of those programs, they're pay to play programs. There's no point in doing them because they don't show that you were good enough to get into a program. Oftentimes they just show that you could pay. I think I would a little bit disagree with that. This first, okay, for a young scholars program right now, they transferred it online. So honestly, I would feel like personally, there's really no, I mean, yes, you get like the learning experience, but I feel like one of the major things about um, summer programs is that you can actually be on the campus and you can actually develop relationships with people who might be on like, you know, people, on, you can develop relationships with the students. You can even meet admissions officers and as well as learning. You know, there's more than just that. You know 100%. what I'm saying? So um, that's why it gives you an advantage. Well, I applied to a lot of summer programs. Um, I applied, but I only applied to free ones. Um, so GH, of course, because I applied to MITE and MOF Tech. Uh, those are at MIT. Um, there's ones like TAF, which is like basically the humanities version. That's at Cornell, U Michigan, some other schools, but those are all like free. They'll pay for everything. And if you get in, those there's selective programs that are basically one-way tickets to a top school. Uh, research Summer Institute, that is the science research summer program or SSP, like if you get into those, you're pretty much set if you want to go to, you want to go to a research focused school. Notre Dame has a leadership seminar over the summer. Um, and if you get in, you have like a double shot at getting into Notre Dame. And those like other colleges see, like if I got into Mites or Moss Tech, other colleges know what those are and they give you that boost, even though you're not applying to, it's just MIT. And that one has a 90% acceptance rate to MIT if you applied to MIT and you did it. A lot of people, of course, there's uh, NSLIY, that's the federal one that will send you to a different country for the summer to learn a language. I have friends that did that. Or U.S. Senate Youth Program, I have friends that did that. That's a sure shot for Georgetown or Yale. Like, those, those summer programs are so selective that if you get it, like, A, it's kind of self-selecting, like, only really strong can get into those programs. But at the same time, if you get into this program, you have a much better shot at it. They're not making your application, but combined with your application, they show how qualified you are. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think they're not necessarily determining factors. Like, if you go to this program, you're going to get that school. But for some of them, it gives you a really good, like, I'm talking about the ones that you have to pay for because it's not like a no. sure shot. But some of these ones that they're wanting you to come over there, it gives you, like, a huge advantage. Yeah, there are programs like Penn Management and Technology Summer Program that people say is a boost for for if you want to apply to Penn's MNT program, but the thing is, is it just gives students experience with the program so they can write about it better. Yale is not going to give a student who went to Yale Young Global Scholars a better chance in the admissions process. Maybe they'll talk about why they want to go to Yale a bit better because they had that summer experience, but it's not a boost in the process. Whereas programs like Mites and Tasks that are truly selective, that are harder to get into than a lot of those colleges, those are programs that are going to boost your chances. You don't need to pay. You don't need to pay for a college to see like, oh, they did this program. They And they like, it just shows that you can pay for a program. Well, thank you, Marcos, for allowing us to gain insight into your admissions process. Um, I really do hope that this helps rising seniors and upperclassmen and helps shed light um, into the havoc of the college admissions process. So thank you all for tuning in. And thank you, Marcos. Thank you a lot. Um, I mean, yeah, I know we all did learn something from this. It's a lot to process. There's a lot to do, so. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Um, I just want to put a disclaimer, like, this was all my experience, like, everyone's experience is different, everyone's process is different, and it's really just a chance for you to learn more about yourself, 